We have an announcement. XY Advisor is raising cash in an equity crowdfund held by Birchall. Um, so you can find it at birchall.com forward slash company forward slash XY Advisor. If you'd like to own a piece of the social network moving forward, it'd be great to have you as an investor. All right, onto the podcast. Welcome to the XY Advisor podcast. To join a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice, head to xyadvisor.com. Mate, thank you for coming on the XY Advisor podcast. I think for the second or third time, how many, what are we up to at this stage? It, it could be my third time, but uh, I did one of the profit uh, process series with, with Ben. So this yeah, we might don't, be we the don't third count time in, in total. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I should uh, get a golden mic at some point in time. I think that's how this thing works. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, we're up to number three with a few guests. But uh, the reason why we like to have you back is because, and for those that uh, don't know, if you go back to the beginnings of XY Advisor, there was a bunch of young advisors in a room. And uh, one of those was Ben Nash. You ended up as his mentor. And you were kind of like the very first one to sort of start telling us that there were other things that we could do in advice rather than just charge uh, an advice management fee or a funds under management fee and do investments. And that really blew our minds. And so that kind of started the whole journey. So it's awesome to sort of touch base with you. It seems like at least once a year on this podcast series. Um, But during that time, during sort of, I guess, the growth of XY, you have gone from being a financial planner or a full-time financial planner to still somewhat of a part-time financial planner at this stage. But I, you're now really into the business of helping other financial planners in a licensee capacity. That's correct? Yeah, in a, in a kind of unique way. Um, what we see and what we call it is, is the entrepreneurial revolution in financial planning. Uh, what, that, what that means to us is that it's a really great time in the market to be stepping away from institutions or stepping away from large companies of financial advisors and staking, putting your own stake in the ground. Uh, and so what that means to us is that, that we can work with advisors and we work with what we call great financial advisors that aren't yet clear on how to run the business of delivering advice because they've probably been within a corporate or a larger company beforehand and we help them with the business skills uh, and coaching and mentoring to grow their business over a period of five, uh, you know, our program is over a period of five years to take their business from almost zero to, to a fully fledged financial planning business that probably has somewhere between 80 and 100 full service fee paying clients. I had the pleasure of interviewing um, David Haynes not too long ago. And his, he sort of approached it from the capacity of finding a lot of highly capable people, bringing them all together, creating this nationwide huge conglomerate, which ultimately sold for a very large amount of money. 
Now, you've already got Pivot, Wealth, Ben Nash in there, Fox and Hare, Gless and, uh, Jess and Glenn. Is your secret plan under all of this is to build just this network of amazing people and then ultimately selling out for a bajillion dollars to if AMP survives the next couple of years? Is this the actual plan? No, the plan, the plan is to support those advice businesses to grow. So we're not, we're not having uh, long-term ownership in the underlying businesses and we really see our abilities in supporting those underlying businesses to grow over time. And so like we don't have an ability to roll them all up into one giant ball and sell them to to anywhere. Really the objective of what we're doing is taking businesses and advisors from, from zero to uh, 80, 80 clients over a period of five years. And then we, we fully expect those advisors to continue to work within their own practice, continue to grow their practice. We are likely still to be their licensee partner at that point in time, but we, we're not delivering all of the ongoing coaching and mentoring that we do after the, after the five-year period. Cool, cool, cool. So um, I've got to ask the question. Now, the FPA's come out recently and said, actually, we're not sure about this whole licensee business. And then at the same time that the, you know, the most popular association has come out questioning that business model, you've turned around and said, actually, I'm doubling down. So one of these parties is out of sync with reality. Which one is, uh, who, who, who's got the long-term down pat? You or the FPA? Well, I'm splitting, I split, I'm betting on both horses at the end of the day. So what I, a couple of things that I know is that I know that a high percentage of the services that we provide as a licensee will still need to be provided if, and the word is if for now, if the regulator wants to have a direct relationship with an advisor. So the, you know, revenue management, commissions management, um, reviewing advice documents, annual engagement, FDS, compliance support, et cetera, that a licensee provides to its authorised reps now, if the advisor is going to have a direct relationship with, with ASIC, they are still going to need to do all of those things. Just because you're registered with ASIC doesn't mean you have to demonstrate compliant advice. It doesn't mean you don't have to have your advice documents audited. It doesn't mean you have to follow all these processes. So I think this conversation that's happened whereby we're going to be directly, advisors will be directly linked to the regulator, I feel like they, everyone thinks that that's going to be the solution to the problem because licensees are causing all this inefficiency and friction. And definitely in the past, in the way that licensees were remunerated and, and a bit of volume bonus stuff, for example, blurred the waters. But what it blurred the waters around is that it actually it changed the pricing of a licensee service so that no one valued it. It's, it's, the, it's that classic thing where if something's free and then you try to charge for it, everyone doesn't value the service at the end of the day. And so what we... What we think in terms of what the FPA is talking about is that I'm fully prepared and happy for that to happen. My job in terms of a licensee, 
I will just provide business support services to those advice businesses in exactly the same way. Nothing will be different and all that will happen, and this is the bit I'm also happy with, is I think that advisors will then will have to, as a general pool, take more responsibility for their own compliance. So I feel like at the moment generally, and definitely within, I would say generally, but within larger organisations, there's a compliance department, which is called a business prevention unit, and then there's the advisors. And the advisors are getting frustrated with compliance and compliance is getting frustrated with advisors. And so, but if the advisors become legally and financially responsible for their advice, which is what the FPA is talking about, then I believe they will take more responsibility for their documents and their process and follow the rules. What's the difference between what a licensee historically charged money for and what an advisor is willing to pay for? What's the difference there? Like, um, obviously, licensees have changed. Well, I guess the, the purpose of licensees and the value of licensees have just been put under so much pressure and strain. What do you think advisors now want compared to what licensees are used to providing? Yeah, so there was pre... Everyone understands the concept of the, the whole commissions and, and things like that in terms of licensees were receiving buckets of money as an intermediary between the advisor and the client. And that's completely... As of 31 December, that revenue is turned off if it's not already turned off. Um, the interesting thing about that is you have to prove to the regulator that post 31 December, you're not receiving the revenue. And so everyone's got to turn it off in advance of that date in order to prepare and prove that you're not receiving the revenue. Now, what, what license, because that's been removed, licensees have had to reprice everything in terms of the true cost to serve those markets. And when you go through an exercise of that, most licensees have realised that they were significantly underpricing because they had this gravy train coming through every month in the product margins. They didn't have to price their product appropriately and also they didn't have to demonstrate value because they were cheap or more specifically than cheap, they were actually under, underpriced. They were losing money every month but they were just compensated by another source and so this re we're seeing this huge repricing. And if you, if you look at any head of a dealer group, um, they're all talking about a user pay system and a repricing system that is pushing the cost of licensee services up. And the difficulty with that is that licensees have always said, well, we do all these services and they've offered extra services and things like that they've probably done it poorly because it was not their core business. And so what's happening now is that their core business is actually um, going up in price and they're, so they're delivering less because they're not delivering these ancillary services because they can't do it anyway. And at the same time, they're actually having to deliver less things but they need to deliver them better in this current, in the new world. You know, the Royal Commission... As, a, as an example, shed a new light on licensees. Um, lots of licensees have decided not to continue 
business operation because of some things that have happened in the past. And if you take that as the example, licensees are not charging enough. And so the the message is for the advice community to really understand what the licensee risk is that they're taking on. And it's a, communi- it's a communal risk. Um, and, and we've been thinking about that internally as well, is that the risk is that someone gives inappropriate advice and it actually has an impact on the other advisors within a, within a group. And so, therefore, we all have to pay an appropriate price to ensure that we're all delivering to a high standard. And the best advisors, like everyone listening now, goes, well, I shouldn't have to pay more because I'm, I'm um, better than everyone else. But there's still a core service that needs to be provided that has a core cost. And what is that core service? The core service is to ensure that the advisor documents their advice appropriately. And I've been talking recently that the, the advisor has two clients, unfortunately, but they do. They have the customer that's paying the fee and they have the regulator. And if we start to think about the regulator as a client as well, they're the only other person who's going to read this advice document. And there's no do-overs with the regulator. There's no, I think I have an email about that, or I've got a handwritten file note, or I'm sure someone looked up that information before we made that recommendation. The regulator doesn't ask follow-on questions. All they do is they say, can I have the SOA, please? And they read the SOA to make sure the SOA meets the legal requirements, okay? And so I think the important message in terms of what a licensee has to do is the licensee has to educate the advisors on how to properly document their advice, okay? It's an evolving process because just like any industry, we're getting new information from the regulator and new interpretations from the regulator, and that has to flow into constantly improving the advice documents. Yeah. So essentially, a licensee helps you with compliance. As A, a licensee, well, let's flip it around. If technically the clients are my clients as the licensee, I'm allowing the advisor to give the advice to those customers. So we've, we've got to play within the rules that we have. But every client of Jess and Glenn is actually legally the Wealth Network's client um, as the structure is at the moment. And so I need to make sure that those clients are getting appropriate advice. And, and so Jess and Glenn are agents of the Wealth Network or authorised representatives. But my responsibility is to make sure that they're giving appropriate advice, which let's assume they are. But secondly, that that advice is appropriately documented according to the rules. And the rules, unfortunately, they're in the Corporations Act. They're in um, policy statements from the, from the regulator. And so that is not in the easiest format. And we'd all prefer a ticker box, but that's not available to us. And so we have to learn the rules as advisors. Yeah. So if we assume then that a licensee, a licensee's role is to make sure advice is compliant, what makes 
a good licensee compared to a bad licensee then? Yeah, so, so a good licensee in what the way I think about it is that they, they have to have a cooperative, cooperative relationship with the advisors. And this is the whole concept of this compliance being a business prevention unit, compliance shutting down the ability to do new business. We can't, the industry can't have that. And so a good licensee is a licensee that actually allows the, the advisor to do business, but coaches them along the way. So I think from a licensee perspective, first and foremost, you've got to choose based on the quality of the human that's joining the licensee. So if you don't hire idiots, you don't have, you reduce the number of problems that you may have. Um, but in addition to that, you've got to work with those advisors on an ongoing basis. Okay. And so people come to me or they talk generally about what they look for in a licensee. And my favorite one that everyone says is they go, I want a open APL. And I, and I always have an advisor. Why do you want an open APL? That is the most riskiest thing to join a dealer group that lets their advisors in recommend any investment out there in the list. And so Dean, think about Timber Corp and those sweet, sweet commissions. That was on the open APL. I'm fully aware of rewards and Timber Group and all the and Timber Corp and all the other ones. Uh, great Southern that's gone in the past. Yes. So, but it's a really good example of going. Well, let's think about where we want to. You know, it's like this pinball machine of playing within a set rule book, but the rule book is designed to protect everyone that's in there. So, in terms of the Wealth Network, we will have a open APL for, for stuff that comes to us. But in terms of what the advisor recommends, it's actually really, really tight. And people looking over the fence will go, well, Dean doesn't have a very wide APL. I'm not interested in joining. But if we flip the question as an example and go, explain to me why you as an advisor wants to have this wide OP APL, why you actually think that it's the best thing to be able to recommend 2,500 different managed funds. And there's really not a great answer. You know, this, it goes to what, when you and I first met and you trying to disconnect your value as an advisor from investment management. And this goes to the same point is that most of the time, the sum of our decisions as an advisor recommending investments, the sum of them over a long period of time don't add a lot of value. And so, but what it does is it adds a lot of risk to the licensee of product failure or below expectation returns. And so what a, a great, coming back to your question of great licensees, they're trying to manage the risk in an interesting way. So that's one example of how we, we can manage the risk. I know other other licensees, including ourselves, that are trying to understand how we can audit and keep a view of what's going on at the advisor level using technology, using Google Analytics and, and Power BI and Microsoft Analytics to be constantly checking and reviewing documentation creation and things in the cloud all of the time. So we've got, we use a company called TIQK, which is all built around um, 
using a machine learning algorithm to check statements of advice. And so in about five seconds, it's able to review an advice document and give the advisor some feedback on how to improve that document, okay? And we can do thousands in, in minutes in terms of checking advice. And so it's not the silver bullet to make an advice document compliant, but it's a level of going, if we do or put all documents through these tools, we're starting to educate advisors on how they need to improve the documents, which is, is a forward-looking licensee because we need to all incorporate technology within our businesses. Um, why don't licensees just uh, simplify the back end for all the businesses that are in it? For example, um, rather than spending all the time making sure every advisor or every authorised rep in a licensee knows all the rules and is abiding by all the latest regulation updates that you know, came through at 1am 1, 1 this morning, Right. Um, rather than that, why why don't licensees have a centralized power planning group or you know a set uh, rather than because it seems to me like there's a there's a competition between autonomy and control, and so it's almost like licensees say this is my responsibility. I take on the responsibility. But then the moment that a solution like, well, how about we uh, hire a handful of power planners uh, that can handle all the back office for everyone, then it's all of a sudden, like, uh, and I'm, I'm speaking from uh, AMP's uh, opinion of this, which they, they basically, they thought it was too much risk to be, to be helping with the, with the plans um, so that, that at any stage they could turn around and say, actually, it's not our responsibility. So I've always wondered if it is the responsibility of the license, why don't they do everything in their power to minimize that risk by having a centralized back office that advisors can use on a, on a use, you know, by either a subscription basis or a per plan basis or it kind of, uh, why is yeah. that? It's really, it's really interesting. So it like if I was to go through an example and think about it with you, I really think that if I was to price that appropriately, then advisors would realise how ex it would become expensive. You know, the whole concept of outsourcing a to a power planner to write a plan, that has a cost to it. But that when you get that plan back, there's no guarantee that it's compliant. Because the, the bit that I think we as advisors need to improve on is actually the tailoring of that document to the particular client. And this is in terms of the, what we do and what we see as the opportunity for advisors to build their own practices is to have a really hyper-targeted and personalised relationship, but your documentation of the client goals and objectives and your relationship with the client, that's the advisor to document. I can't get that out of the advice business anywhere else. And so to articulate the client's goals and objectives, that's the advisor's job to put that into an advice document. Yes, we can put some templates and request forms around it and things like that. Um, but most advisors haven't like, 
they don't want to give up parts of the puzzle. They don't want to give up the control or they don't want to give up the income. Because I could tell you that give me 50% of the revenue and I will run that compliance part, that document creation and compliance part of your business. But that's going to put, that's going to increase fees and increase complexity within, within businesses. So it's, a, it's an interesting one. The alternative, uh, if, you, if, you learn, if we learn from the accounting profession, as an example, and everyone's got their challenges, but if you think about the accounting profession, they have worked out that the corporatization of accounting doesn't work that well. Okay, so there's very little accounting firms listed on the stock market and the biggest four accounting firms in Australia slash the world are all partnerships, okay? And so the, and now that we see banks getting out of financial advice, it's sort of showing the same thing here is that the advisor has to be responsible for the work, okay? Because they are, get ready for it, they are the professional that is meant to know their requirements, okay? And we have to only work with professionals. And if there's advisors that don't understand their legal obligations, that's a concern. It shouldn't be the answer that it's too confusing. It should be the answer to licensees of going, well, you need to help me learn this stuff that I don't know, but we all have to know it. If you quiz me, I'll not know everything, but I still have to take responsibility for the parts that I don't know. Sure. Um, the other thing in terms of reducing costs, um, professional indemnity insurance is obviously going through the roof and you've got the PIFA. Are you familiar with these guys? They're, you know, they've been challenging the Professional Standards Council for uh, the professional status of financial planners for quite some time. If they win, then they fall under the limited liability legislation, same as doctors, dentists, lawyers, and accountants. Have you looked into that? If so, um, what do you think? No. Look, I can tell you that I have no idea what you just spoke about in terms of advisors and limited liability. I will talk to... The industry has somewhat evolved because of PI insurance. The concept of an approved product list, if you, if you say to ASIC, what's an approved product list? They didn't invent the term. It was the mm. PI insurers that invented the term, which then drove the, they said, we can't insure everything. You've got to have a list of things that we're going to insure, for example. Um, and so that's a really good example of going, well, the insurance industry has driven things within financial advice at the end, at the end of the day. I think that uh, the move to be legally independent, and that's obviously the legislation around that is changing in terms of if I want to be called an independent advisor, I can, but I need to firstly not accept commissions, etc. And that is fine, but that shouldn't limit your liability just because you're not conflicted. No, it's um, so, so I, I obviously don't understand everything about it, but I did get a chance to interview the president, uh, Daniel Bramall. And um, the way that it was explained to me is this limited liability legislation uh, means that a, a professional 
um, doesn't need a huge amount of PI insurance because as per the government and the legislation, uh, there's only a small amount of money that each professional is liable for for each client. So as long as they're, they're doing the right thing, then it's not open slather. It's the opposite. It is mm. completely restricted in what anyone can go after a particular advisor for, assuming obviously that they're not committing fraud. Um, so, uh, so no financial, excuse me, no financial planners currently come under this legislation, but it's something that uh, this PIFA have been uh, working towards for a while. So uh, if anyone's going to be able to fit in with their uh, crazy, I would imagine their crazy restrictions and you can find out more uh, by asking Daniel, but if anyone's going to fit into their, I'd imagine you probably, if not are, would be close. It's definitely worth checking out, I think, to, to reduce all of your advisors' PI cover. Well, yeah. Look, in th in theory, it sounds like a it sounds like a great idea. I can tell you that that we are held to a different standard when we deal with clients' money, and that's the that's the most important thing. That you know, sometimes I say, well, why why financial advisors? Why do we get the most legislation compliance complaints, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? And it really goes down to we are dealing with clients' money and therefore we have to be held to the absolute highest standard. And my view is the regulator is not going to allow people to deal with clients' money and not have compensation schemes to protect consumers. So, and unfortunately, like I'm, I can be the devil's advocate and say, look, if anyone's going to take advantage of this I'll call it a loophole until I understand it, but I'll be corrected at some point in time. But unfortunately, the people that take advantage of these things um, or look to take advantage of these things sometimes are the, are the people that are trying to get around something. Mm, so I understand. not saying that these guys are, but, but I've had these couple of things that have come up that I, that I challenge from time to time is trying to give general advice to clients. So... It's sort of this, I find it a very difficult and gray uh, situation. So if I give a seminar, it's kind of obvious that I'm giving general advice because there's 30 people in the room. But if, I've, if I go to someone's house, have a cup of coffee and give them general advice, and that's the problem with the terminology in the legislation, is that how does that customer really, really understand that they're receiving general advice when you went to their home and spoke to them about stuff. And so it's an example whereby the rules kind of are black and white, but then there's this gray in the middle. And the more that we play in the gray, the more we're likely to have further and further legislation placed on us in the future. Mm. I think there's a place for general advice, but I think that it's a challenge Firstly, when you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And secondly, when, you're, when you are an authorised representative of a licence, I find it incredibly difficult to give general advice. And that's a similar to a doctor, is that it's very difficult for a doctor to give general advice because they're a specialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand the concept. So um, when, when we get down to why what value a licensee delivers it's less to do with collecting or collating commissions or product payments 
And it comes down to staying compliant and then helping to grow, helping to become a, a better advisor, improve your advice process. Um, this is one of those things that I always found interesting. Um, a, lot of, a lot of licensees say they do these things, but realistically, the people that are delivering it um, have never really done it before. Um, I've no doubt that these people are kind of capable, um, but a lot of the times they're not your Sue Viscoviches or your Stuart Bells, right? Like or, or your Steve Salvias. Or it seems to me that most licensees should probably be allocating their practice management or training, I guess you can call it. They should be allocating that to people who actually do it for a living and bringing them in. That, to, to me, that's what it kind of looks like. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. And there's a, good re- I, I, there's a good reason why no one's been able to nut it out in terms of the, the offering. And so the first reason is all about the fact that they thought it was a good idea. It's like the marketing department came up with the concept. So it was like, <laughs> oh, let's put it on our brochure. And then they went, oh, shit, we have to deliver on it. Yeah. And they have to deliver on it at the same time as the cost to provide your the core service has gone up. So the cost if your cost to serve to provide the core just doubled and you've lost this gravy train of revenue and you haven't yet increased your prices on the other side, if all of those things are happen, you cannot provide the nice coaching on top of that. Because there's just no money left and there's no resources for it. So in a user pay system, what we've all got to get used to is the fact that the core price has gone up just to serve and this ancillary service that was nice to have may be pushed in, may have to go out of a core licensee business for it to be, before the core licensee to be successful. Yeah. So... That's in terms of large licensees. And we see that too. We structure the two departments that we have within the wealth network quite differently to um, align our interests and achieve that objective. So we charge fees for the, for the core licensee services and we run the licensee on essentially a cooperative basis. Um, which means that I publish my profit and loss to the members. I show them everything that we've spent money on. And so that shows that we don't make any money, that the, that the licensee breaks even um, at best. Sometimes Paul and I fund it, but the, license, the vision for the licensee is only to break even. And most licensees out there would do well to break even. A hell of a lot of licensees are running at a loss and it's probably something you should ask your licensee as well as to whether you've got, whether they have the financial resources to run a licensee um, because you can't run at a negative uh, position for very long before something has to happen. So the, we run our licensee as a cooperative and then the other department that we have, we call coaching and execution and that coaching model that we deliver to the businesses that join the wealth network is delivered on a, on a sweat equity basis for the next five years. 
And so we don't ask for money um, during that process, but we share in the ownership of the firm over, over a five-year period to deliver those services. Uh, frankly, we think that that aligns our interests. But secondly, the advice business doesn't have a budget in the first five years of operation to pay for coaching as well as all the core advice services at the end of the day. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so what are you, what are you putting in the water that means you're pumping out Ben Nash's and Glenn and Jess's? Well, it's not water. To, it's not water for first, first bit. Look, I, I would say it's not me. And so what, what I would like to, the message that I, that I tell to everyone when they do ask me that question is think about me as a coach, not as anything else. And so the, the most amazing sports people or the most amazing performers in the theatre or the, or the arts they have a core skill already, okay? They do use coaches and people around them just to help harness that skill over time. So yes. Jess and Glenn and Ben were, were always destined to be amazing advisors. They just needed a bit of structure and experience around them. And so the first thing that we do is we hire or partner with great people that we can see great potential in in the future, so it's, it's not easy to be part of the wealth network. And so therefore, it, from the outside, they go, oh, there's great people within there. And it's because we choose great people, not because we create great people. We help them be the best, if you know what I mean. But it's not like I can take anyone. So this is for you, Clayton. It's not like I can take Clayton <laughs> and turn him into a Ben Nash, for example. Oh, no, uh, believe me. I've been trying to grow this beard for a couple no, of weeks. I can, I can and, see. Uh, <laughs> for, the, for the listeners that aren't able to see Clayton's beard right now, it is, uh, it's a bit of a work in progress. It's uh, repugnant but it's a, it's a little best. bit of patchiness that we might have to put some fertilizer down on to get, it, to get the full lawn going. It is more patched than beard. And if you've seen Ben's beard, that, that thing is more length than it is width. It is crazy. He's, he's getting into Ned Kelly at this stage. He has, he's, um, he's thinking about getting an insurance policy on it. It's that. Yeah. It does not surprise me. does not surprise me. Um, all right. Well, then uh, let's walk through because we've we got a couple of minutes up our sleeve, right? Let's walk. Let's say I was still advising. What are you going to tell me over the course of five years? Like, how are you going to help me? How are you going to break it down? How are you going to get the most out of me? Great question. So in terms of the way in which we do it and the core of what we do is that we firstly have a coaching system, which is called the Entrepreneur's Operating System. So EOS, and it's a global coaching platform that runs across every single type of business. So it's not a financial planning tool. But that, it, that forms the core part of how we help advisors run their practice. And the, I sit into weekly meetings with the practices and run this entrepreneur's operating system agenda and process across all of the businesses. And so that is, that is a great structure for running a business in general 
but what it gives us that most advice businesses and me included when I started, you don't start with any structure whatsoever. Okay? Yeah. So the two themes that I always talk to people about are people and process. So yep. people is choosing the right advisor at the end of the day and process is all around doing repeatable, consistent activities, whether it is marketing, promotion, advice, research, doesn't matter, but you're repeating and doing them consistently. Everyone looks at Ben and says, wow, he's this amazing speaker and he's got this presence with, with, on YouTube, for example. Um, but he didn't have that when he first started. He had to consistently do that process and practice in order to get there. And if you looked at his first few videos to now, you would see the improvement that, that has happened over that period of time. So the coaching platform for us, once we run this partnership program, is that gives us the core part of the cadence of how we run businesses. The second part of what we do is we take the vast majority of core work off client, off the advisor. So what I mean by that is we are working with the advisor to take some of the core functions out of our business, okay? So things that come out of, our, out of the advisor business that can be replicated is, is accounting, IT, web security, things like that, that you go, well, why would you try to do that yourself when we can do things in a consistent way? And so that goes to... Things like the Wealth Network, obviously, as well, doing the licensee components, but it's also the other core parts of business operation that we share resources in doing it, okay? And the third piece of the puzzle, which is very powerful when you start businesses, but there's a cost to it, but we definitely think that it's worthwhile, is starting with a staff member that's a remote staff member um, from... in in Cebu where we work with our team. So it's a remote staff member from day one. And it's a really strong, powerful position to know that you've started a business, but you're not in the trenches doing all of the jobs. Now, and I can remember that from the day that we started is that you know, the whole story of starting your financial planning business or any business is you're turning the lights on, you're making the coffee, you're giving the financial advice, you're booking the meetings, you're cleaning the meeting room, you're turning the lights off at the end of the day. And that entire process means that you're not able to focus on the core of what you're good at. And so by allowing and building a business around having a staff member on day one, and there's a financial model and cost to that, which we have to justify, but it just strengthens your position as a professional and an, as an advisor to get started. Okay. Hmm. And so it's a combination of those three things which allows us to build advice practices with great advisors, leveraging the community of service providers that, that we manage over time in order to get things out of the advice business, which means the advisor can focus more on giving advice and talking to their customers or clients um, and working within a team. And the team environment I'm, I've now worked out is a core part of how we can deliver services to our clients at a, at a reasonable profit level. 
you know, we have to make profit at the end of the day um, and we need to be able to price our services appropriately and then resource our businesses appropriately to be able to deliver profitable advice. What do you think about all these huge uh, purchases going on, like these huge multiples, you know, international companies coming in? They, they seem to be pretty aggressive or, or bullish on the Australian financial services landscape. Um, is that something you, you're keeping in mind? Do you, do you see the, the international money coming in uh, as a sign or as a proof that this is a good time to be an advisor, to be in advice, to, to build a, a strong uh, advice business or to work for a strong advice business. Do you see this as a bullish time despite everything that's going on? Yes. So I started, I started in 2008. We started our own business at the bottom of the GFC in, in, in a very tough, in a very tough time. And so the current environment doesn't tell me that it's, it tells me that it's a good time to start a business. And the reason it's so much easier to start a business today, it, with or without me, in terms of technology that is available in your businesses to start a strong, secure, safe, repeatable business, you can do that today and you haven't been able to do that 10 years ago that I wasn't, you know, I, when I first started, I had to have a server on, on the wall, um, which had file, had files in it. It sounds funny now, but that thing costs $6,000. And I can't, if you start a business now, it costs you $30 a month to have the same technology. Well, it's Microsoft. So it's as, it's as safe as Microsoft and the U S government stores their stuff with Microsoft. So it's just, that's just one example of a hundred where it's, it's the rise of the entrepreneur is now in terms of building your own business. And the entrepreneur means that there's one advisor with partners and people and partners underneath. I'm not, I'm not the, uh, I'm not a fan of one and one person in one business doing it all on their own, this solepreneur um, word. It, I don't think that works because I don't think you get what you want. You start a business to help people, but you also want to have lifestyle flexibility and you don't get that if you're one person in one business. And so if I have a holiday and I'm able to let the team answer emails, all the emails go to the one place and we start with the end in mind that an inquiry into the business is can be answered by someone else within the business before it gets to you. So yeah, it makes sense. I'm, I'm obviously bullish on financial advice in general. If, if you, the dynamics tell us that it's an increasing complexity, um, increasing amount of wealth that needs to be saved and dealt with a decreasing number of advisors at a, a unfair wall to get into the industry, which needs to be, which needs to be solved. Uh, but the combination of those things tells us there's going to be less advisors in the future and more um, less advisors in the future and more opportunity to work together. Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, mate, thanks for coming on. For those that want to reach out, say hi. I mean, I know you've got, you're one of only two licensees currently on the XY platform. You guys and Cobalt uh, seem to be very much pushing the progressiveness in terms of, um, you know, wanting to attract the right kind of advisor. So it's awesome to, um, to host you guys there. 
uh, where else can they reach out and find more? Yeah, so I'm, I've got the, chat, the group on XY Advisor, which we, I share content in and, and share my thoughts in there. So that's a great thing to be involved in. I have 60 people that are in that group. So it's, it's awesome to have some, that, many, that many followers in terms of that. Um, but we also, our website is wealthnetwork.net.au. We run a series of webinars on a, on a kind of fortnightly basis just talking about how I see the industry and what we see in terms of the ability for this entrepreneurial advisor to step out of the corporate and, and run their own business. So that's, so joining me on a webinar is, 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 a, is a great thing to have a communication uh, and chat about what's going on in the world there. Uh, we also run a series of masterclasses, which is kind of like my boot camp of six weeks of learning what it's like to be in your own financial planning practice and scoping those things out. So that's another sort of the next thing, but we talk about that during the webinars as well. So that's a great place to start, but then you can connect with me on LinkedIn as well in terms of communication in the virtual context, or you can pick up the phone. Awesome, man. If you well, can find you. my number. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, always a pleasure to catch up and chat. Um, I think there'll always be, you know, fond memories of you blowing our minds with the most basic of financial concepts. The fact that this has all just gotten so much bigger and better over the years is, uh, is a good sign, I think, for financial advice in general. So, mate, thanks for, uh, thanks for always being a, a wealth of uh, information and, um, yeah, man, I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you, Clayton. Cheers. <laughs>